Okay, folks, we're going to be looking at the final chapter of the book of Job. And just to say, if you're joining us for the first time, and then you're joining us at the end of a 10-week series looking through this amazing book in the Bible, Job. If you've missed any of the sermons on Job, then you can watch them on this YouTube channel or the Tech Wizards in St. Pete's. I'm sure I'll put up the MP3s on the St. Pete's website and you can go there and download them and listen to them as you're doing your daily exercise. Um, but our focus is going to be at the end, Job 42. But just before you turn there, um, I wonder if you could turn in your Bibles to the book of James in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, you can go to BibleGateway.com and type it in there. James chapter 5. And I just want to read two verses from verse 10 to 11 of James chapter 5. This will really set up a lot of what we're going to see today. James says this, Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Now, I want that to hang over all that we are going to see today. Job is an example to us of perseverance and suffering. And in this book, what do we learn about God? Well, James tells us we learn that he is full of compassion and mercy. Now, you might be thinking, how do, how do we see that from God in the book of Job? Um, well, I would argue you'd see it all throughout, but it really comes to light in what, um, what James says God finally brought about, what we see here in chapter 42. So, uh, just turn to that chapter now. Let's go back to Job 42. We're going to read the end of this great book. Job chapter 42. Um, let me just, just set this all up as we come to this conclusion. Remember, Job was a good, godly man and God allowed him to suffer extreme loss. He, he lost all 10 of his children. It's unimaginable thinking about that. He lost his job. He lost all of his money. Uh, his body was covered in horrible, painful boils. His wife could not stand to be near him. And his reputation is in tatters. And in this book, Job has been wrestling with why God allowed that to happen to him. So we've, we've read, as we've studied this, we've read some real raw emotional cries from this poor man. We've listened to him receive useless advice from three of his friends. Their names were Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar. And they've been telling him, throughout this book that the reason he's suffering is because God is punishing him which is not true at all we've heard them spout that nonsense and we've seen that throughout this Job has still been holding on to God we've seen him in his anguish utter some of the most amazing statements of faith but as we've journeyed with Job we've also seen him start to waver to say stuff about God that is uh, it's not true Job has made accusations about God being unjust and cruel. And we've, we've heard answers to those accusations. Firstly, from a, another friend, a good friend called Elihu. And then most surprisingly, the great climax of the book is when God himself comes and speaks to Job. It's been a long journey as we've sat with this 
poor broken man on the rubbish heap. A journey of torment, hurt, hope and despair. And now here we are at the end. And it's important we realise that what happens in this chapter happens at the end. So you can't just jump straight from chapter 1 to chapter 42. Before you get to the end, there are 41 chapters of frustration, of hurt, of messiness uh, and of wisdom as well. Which is why if you're coming to this for the first time, like I said at the start, it really is worth going back and listening to the previous talks or going back and reading Job right from the very beginning. And Because what God does, he does at the end. There is no quick fix. We need we needed 41 chapters. When we think about God's suffering, we needed 41 chapters to, to slow down and to think and to apply wisdom. Nevertheless, There is an end and it's great. Let's read it. Chapter 42. Let's read the whole chapter. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you. But now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you. And I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Naamathite did what the Lord told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, a 1,000 yoke of oxen and a 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Kezia, and the third Keren Hapuch. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died, an old man and full of years. Let me pray and we'll look at this. Father, a wonderful end to a book that has been filled with anguish and pain and heart and confusion. And so, Father, we ask that as we study this wonderful end, we would see something of who you are. Pray, Father, you would help us to see what James saw as he read this, that you are full of compassion and mercy. Even in the face 
of unimaginable suffering, you are always good, always compassionate, always merciful. We have a glorious end awaiting us. Father, show us Jesus, speak to us through your word, give us wisdom and understanding, challenge us where we need to be challenged and comfort us where we need to be comforted. We ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's what we're going to see today. It's a simple yet profound truth. When we think about God and suffering, and it's this. Suffering has an end. And if you follow Jesus, in the end, everything will be all right. Actually, it will be more than all right. It will be wonderfully restored. And so we persevere like Job. For the God who governs this world is rich in compassion and mercy. You know, we have wonderful hope as Christians. But that hope, that hope comes through Jesus alone. This is why, I mean, this is why we're here. This is why we're doing these live stream services. This is why we plant churches in places like Charleston. Because we want people to know this hope that is real. This hope that can only come through Jesus. And so as we, um, as we close this, these 10 weeks of studies that we've been doing, thinking about suffering in God, as we close, I hope that today we will learn to look at the end. That wonderful end that Jesus has purchased for us. And we will see that no matter what torments we have experienced in life, we will see the truth that James told us. That God is is compassionate and God is filled with mercy and he has been good to me. So, let's see how it happens to Job and then kind of as we walk through this, we'll see how it applies to us today. There's three things that happen to Job in this chapter and the order of it is very important. Firstly... Job is humbled and repentant. Secondly, Job is declared to be right with God. And then thirdly, Job is blessed and exalted. So let's walk through how we see that. Firstly, Job is humbled and he is repentant. So the first step in the kind of restoration of Job begins with repentance. So see at the start of um, of chapter 42 there, um, Job has just heard God speak. Um, and, and he has confessed in verse 3 that when he spoke and when he accused God of being cruel and unjust and God has just responded with these two wonderful poems that we looked at the past two weeks, um, he, he admits that, that he was speaking about stuff that he did not know. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You see, what Job in his suffering, what it had done, it had blinded him. I think it just, it blinded him a little bit as to the reality of who God is. It's what it often does to us. I said a few weeks ago that that when you suffer, it really shrinks your world. And sometimes in our suffering, we cannot help but just thinking about ourselves all the time, being filled with self-pity. And Job and his suffering, Job's suffering had exposed a kind of selfishness, a pride that was in him. Now, Job was a good guy. Let's remember that. Again, we've been saying this throughout the series. Job is the best of us. And let's remember that Job 
never suffered because he sinned. That's not true. He, he, he's not suffering because he sinned, but in his suffering, he did sin. And God has used his pain to expose that sin in his life, not to hurt him, but, but to help him. God is like a surgeon. He, he wounds not to hurt, but to heal. And sometimes there's sin in our lives that we are unaware of until we are, are brought down into the depths. Sometimes we don't see the, just how the greatness of God until we suffer. I quoted a few weeks ago from uh, a minister and author called Tim Keller who said, sometimes we don't realize that Jesus is all we need until Jesus is all we have. And Job, through his pain and through God speaking to him, through God's word, has now this greater understanding of who God is. Look at how he mentions it here in in verse 5. See what he says? He says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. It's like he's saying, you know, God, I I always followed you. And Job did. He, He always loved God. He always followed God. I knew the stories about you from Sunday school. I heard um, what, what others said about you. But now, now I feel like I, I know you in a way that I'd never done before. Like, like, like I can see you almost. It's like God has become bigger, more real. And, and Job has become smaller. And to know that, to know what it what it means to really say that God is God and God is good and I am a humble sinner in his compassionate hands, to know that is a precious thing. Worth getting, even at the cost of great pain. And so off the back of the amazing speeches of God, what does he do? Verse 6, he repents. That means that, that Job takes that sinful pride I think that's been exposed and and he brings it to God and he asks God for forgiveness. And so we need to see it is a sign of great mercy and compassion that the Lord showed Job where he needed to repent. Because the most compassionate thing that God could do for us is to help us see ourselves as we are and to see him as he is. If we are to be restored, we need, we need to set, see ourselves as we really are, sinful people with limited knowledge in need of a gracious, forgiving God. And if you don't see that, and if it just becomes all about you and your pain, then, then suffering will just consume you. And so we need to persevere like, like Job did. Persevere with God. Persevere with God's word. Persevere in repentance. And then you will see, no matter what happens, God has been merciful and compassionate to me. So that's the first thing we see happen with Job. He's humbled and then he's brought to repentance. But then the second thing we see happen, and this is amazing, he is declared to be right by God. It's the second thing we see in verse 7 to 9. He is declared to be right. Um, The word that the Bible uses for this is, is the word justification. It's a really important word in the Bible. And, and it just means that. It means being made right with God. And look at how it begins. Remember, um, Job's sitting with his three pals at the moment. 
Um, and these guys are very religious. These are the guys who thought that they had all the answers, that thought that they were really smart. Um, but look at what God says in verse 7. I love this. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, he's like the head of the pals, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So God's saying to Job's pals, look, you boys were way off. And I'm just raging at the nonsense that you have spouted. And you can imagine them, remember, these guys thought they were really smart. You can imagine them getting, as we'd say in Dundee, a total beamer as they're hearing um, God um, condemning them. And it's actually quite funny. God basically says to them, look, you better hope that, that Job prays for you. You're so far off. But the surprising thing, I think, here is, um, is not that... Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar are being condemned by God. I think, I think we could see that throughout the book. The surprising thing is that, that God says that Job is right. Job has spoken truth. Now that's surprising because there's been a few things that God has said that's wrong about God. And, and God himself has, has corrected him on it. So, so what does he mean? Well, I think it means that on the whole... We are to see what Job says as being true. Yes, he has said some foolish stuff, which he he does repent of. But on the whole, Job has been right in affirming his faithfulness to God. Here is a man who genuinely loves God. And the ultimate proof of his right speech has been in his repentance. Like he, He wants God. Job's friends, on the other hand, the way that they kind of... The way that they relate to God, it's not like a relationship. It's, um, it's like God is some sort of system, like he's a, a computer program. Like um, he has to operate in a way that he, they think he should operate. He's, he's cold and he's distant and he's impersonal. That's not the case with Job. Job is real. He, I mean, he said some stuff that's wrong, but he's also said some amazing truths. And, and through it all, I don't know if you noticed in the speeches when we looked at them, the big difference between Job and his pals is that that Job said it to God. He has not stopped praying. That's why he's such a great example of perseverance. He's prayed his confusion. He's prayed his heart. He's prayed some amazing truths. He's prayed some stuff that he shouldn't have said. But the deepest longing you can tell for Job throughout all his pain was not relief from his suffering. The deepest longing was that his relationship with God would be restored. He was worried that it had been broken. And so God affirms, look, Job is right. And that is what Job wanted to know. God still loves me. Did you notice that that in the reading, God keeps calling him my servant? Uh, In the Old Testament, that was a title that meant intimacy and friendship. And God is saying, look, Job is mine. And, and, and because Job is mine, he, he listens to the prayer of Job. You can see that in verse 9 when Job prays for uh, these three so-called friends. He, he, God listens to it and he's given this kind of unique role to, 
like stand between the friends and God, almost like trying to bring them together. And in the Old Testament, which is where Job is, um, that was like the role of, of a priest in the Old Testament. They would bring the people and God together. And Job has that kind of role in, in seeking to restore his friends. Because Job is in right standing with the God who is rich in mercy and compassions. And folks, we need to see when God allows suffering in our lives, it does not mean that he does not love us or does not accept us. And we can know that, not just by looking at Job, but ultimately we can know that today as Christians by looking to Jesus. Throughout the, the book of Job, I think one of the key things to really understand in Job is to always remember that Job is like a pointer towards Jesus. Job was a blameless man who suffered great pain. Jesus is the ultimate blameless man. He really was innocent in every way and he suffered in a way that no one else has suffered. Why? So that you and I could be forgiven. Because look, we're sinners. And as such, we are not in a right standing with God. But if we trust Jesus, he suffers for us. He, he suffers that punishment for our sin. In our place, the innocent one steps into our shoes. He takes God's anger for our wrong. And do you know what that means for us? It means no matter what we have done in life, we are declared to be in right standing with God. We are, we are justified. That means, man, the implications of that. That means that no matter what pain and trial that I am put through, no matter how uncertain a situation I am in, here's what I can know for absolute cert- certainty. I am always, always in a right standing with God. He does not hate me. He is not cruel to me. He is not angry with me. I am in a right standing always, not because of me, but because of Jesus. And he will not let me go. He can't. He he gave up his own son to the cruel suffering of the cross so that I could be made right. See, the God of the Bible is not removed from suffering. We we worship a saviour who has wounds. And he is... He's like like Job was with his friends. He's that mediator. He's the one who brings us and God together. Brings us in a right relationship. Folks, if you don't have that, there is no hope. There is no good news if you don't have that. If you are not made right with the God who governs this world and who made this world. But the good news is that you can have that by repenting like Job did and by turning to Jesus. And when you get that, it makes this final point true. In the end, we will be blessed and exalted. That's the third thing that we see happening to Job. So he's humbled and repentant first, then he's declared to be right by God. And then thirdly and finally, we see that he is blessed and exalted. Look at verse 10. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. Then verse 11, 
It's a wonderful scene. Job's brothers and sisters, they, they come to his house for a meal. And by the way, this is the first meal that has happened since the tragedy way back in chapter one, when Job's children were eating together and the house collapsed in on them and they all died. And here are are Job's brothers and sisters and see what they're doing? They're comforting him. The help that he needed, the comfort that his three friends had failed to give him, he is now receiving. They are comforting him, what verse 11 says, consoling him over all the trouble that the Lord had brought on him. We've seen that all throughout. That's a key point in understanding suffering. God is in control of absolutely everything. God wasn't phased when a virus started spreading throughout Wuhan in China. It's under his sovereign control, all of it. For what purpose, Job could not see. And Job never really found out why. But the trouble was not the end. The trouble that he was in control of. For God used that to to refine Job and in the end to bring about something that was greater, a greater blessing. Notice how everything's just restored in in a greater way. Um, In verse 12, see all these animals. That is exactly double the amount of animals that Job had way back in chapter 1. Job lost his, his children. And now later on in life, he has um, seven boys and three girls. Now, nothing in however long Job lived, I don't think he would have forgotten the pain of losing those kids that he had before his suffering. But you can still see here that there is this kind of restoration that's happening. Interesting detail about the daughters in verse 15. Apparently, they're absolute stunners. Um, Jemima, Kezia, lovely names. I have known girls with that name. I have never met anyone called Karen Hapuch. Um, so if you're an expectant parent and you're having a girl, there's a name for you, Karen Hapuch. And then Job, what happens? He lives till he's 140 years old and he dies an old man full of days. And the point is this, that that Job's blessing, his life was much greater than it was before his suffering. He is doubly blessed. He is exalted. God is compassionate and merciful. But that compassion and that mercy of God throughout the book is not, not a pat on the head or a stroking of the ego. It's a refining, painful fire in which he uses to strengthen Job's faith. And strengthen his understanding of who God is. Do not think, don't think that this ending is is God sort of giving Job lots of stuff to make up for the pain. This is not compensation at the end here. We need to see, you need to see this, that even if we didn't have this ending, Job would still find God worthy of worship. Even if he was left on the rubbish heap and he ended up dying there, he would still say that God is worthy of worship. This is not compensation. This is what the Bible calls grace. When God lavishes these these blessings upon people, when there's no need for them, when when they don't deserve it. 
And so you see, this is the end. It's a, it's a joyful restoration. Job is repentant. He is declared right before God and God just lavishes these great blessings on him. And that right there is the good news of Jesus Christ. If we come and repent of our sin, we take it to Jesus. Know this, we will be blessed. We will be blessed. You'll be blessed right now. Right now. And it's not the blessing of having lots of stuff. It's the blessing of of knowing that, that no matter what, right now I am at peace with God. The blessing that knowing my hand, my life was in his hands. He has rescued me. The, the blessing of knowing the joy of, of following him, of following Jesus. A joy that's like nothing else. That is what we have right now. But this, this is not it. This is not the end. Because there's lots of stuff that, that's still wrong, isn't there? We still struggle with sin. We still have to deal with suffering. We still have to face the reality of death. This is not it. The Apostle Paul says that if we as Christians have hope only for this life, then we are to be pitied more than anyone else. This is not our end. We are looking towards the end. The end will come when Jesus returns. The end will come and for many of us after we die, when we are raised with Jesus to a new life, when we are brought into what the Bible calls a new creation where there is no brokenness, where there is no sin, and where there is no more death, where every tear will be wiped away. You see, as Christians, we are, we are looking forward to that end. We are pilgrims. We are exiles. Like this world here is not our home. We are journeying to that heavenly inheritance. And so we fix our eyes on that day and and we endure and we persevere like Job as we look to the end and as we look to our saviour. I mean, think about what you see with Job here. Job Job suffers and then he is exalted. Think about Jesus. Jesus suffered, then he was exalted. Brothers and sisters, that is the pattern that we must all follow. Some will suffer more than others. In fact, the Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. He says this, we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now that's incredible. That means that, you know, it's like we've been adopted into God's family and we get the inheritance. So what's God's inheritance? Well, it's everything. Along with Jesus, we get that. But he goes on to say this, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So as heirs to eternity, our path is one of blessing, yes, but also of pain. It's the path of Job, it was the path of Jesus. But we know the end. Isn't that what's so wonderful about the gospel? God in his mercy, he's shown us the end. Think about the fear and anxiety that is going around because of this um, coronavirus. Everyone's like freaking out and panicking. There are two extremes here. They either don't care or they're they're panicking loads. Because everyone's just so uncertain. But we know the end. 
We know what happens in the end. Jesus wins. And it's like, um, I don't know if you've ever read a, a book like A Murder Mystery and you're so desperate to find out what happens that you just kind of flick to the end and uh, read the, the last page. And uh, You shouldn't do that, but some of you might do that. Uh, my wife will not watch a film unless I can tell her what the end will be. Because she needs to know that it kind of has a happy ending before she watches it. Well, we know the end in Jesus and it is a happy ending. Look, we don't know what will happen in between, do we? We don't know the story that's going to happen in between now and then. But we do know where we will end up. And the Apostle Paul will say elsewhere that, that when we think about where we are going and what will happen and the blessings we'll receive in the future, our suffering now will just seem light and momentary. And, and by the way, like that is a guy who suffered extreme who's saying that. I mean, this guy was whipped, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was almost killed on numerous times, he was plagued with sleeplessness and anxiety. A lot of people hated him, people in the church attacked him, people outside the church made fun of him and ridiculed him. He spent most of his life in prison and he says light and momentary. And all of it is not pointless, but all of it. From the trivial to the extreme, all of it will be used to serve our joy in the life to come. So we endure because what awaits us is greater than anything we could possibly imagine. And, and it's not a place, but it's a person. See, we look, we look forward to heaven not because of what's there, but because of who is there. We long to be with Jesus. That's our joy and our hope and our certainty. And when you're with Jesus, well, there's just an abundance of blessings that never end. Because think about everything good that we enjoy now. All of that comes from him. Remember, there was, a, uh, there was an old school theologian called Jonathan Edwards uh, and he says that the, the enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be fully satisfied. Every relationship we enjoy now is a mere shadow. God is the substance. These are but scattered beams. God is the sun. These are but streams. God is the ocean. So our home is a place of unending joy with Jesus. It's not floating about in a cloud with a heart wearing a dress. That does not sound like heaven to me. But it's real. Do you know, it's, it's, it's real blessing. It's a renewed creation. What do we see here at the end of Job? We see real beauty. We see real celebration, real feasting, real joy. Well, that is what we will have with Jesus. And it will be, actually, it will be more real than anything we have in this world. Uh, in fact, I love uh, Jesus' description when he ever talks about heaven. I think Jesus' favorite image to describe heaven is to describe it like a banquet. I love that because I love food. I love eating. There'll be food and there'll be drink and there'll be animals and there'll be mountains. But it won't be broken. We will have nothing wrong or defected in us. The beauty will not end. The joy will not stagnate. The love 
will not grow stale. It just will get better and better and better the more time we spend with Jesus. As C.S. Lewis says in the Chronicles of Narnia, um, it's the beginning of a new story in which every chapter will be better than the last. And so we must persevere now as we look to that end, to that moment when the shepherd will lead us through the pain and the fire, through death's dark valley, when he takes us home and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come now and share your master's joy. Well, we're finished, but I I just want to read to you something I read um, earlier this week. uh, A well-known preacher called Ravi Zacharias, who was a big influence on me when I became a Christian. Uh, He passed away and I was reading something that his daughter wrote about him. And apparently, not long before he passed away, um, Ravi quoted from a poem by a guy called Richard Baxter, who was a preacher way back in the 17th century. And I just want to read to you a couple of verses from that poem and then we'll pray and then we will sing. Christ leads me through no darker rooms than he went through before. He that unto God's kingdom comes must enter by this door. Come Lord, when grace hath made me meet thy blessed face to see, for if thy work on earth be sweet, what will thy glory be? And I shall end my sad complaints and weary sinful days and join with the triumphant saints that sing my Saviour's praise. My knowledge of that life is small, the eye of faith is dim, but tis enough that Christ knows all and I shall be with him. Let me pray. Father, thank you. For the promise of the gospel. You do not promise a life free from suffering. But you do promise that suffering will not be pointless. And everything that happens will be used for our good. Because Jesus has made us right with you. And so we thank you for Jesus. He suffered, then he was glorified. We know that as we follow him, we follow his pattern, that even though we may suffer now, we will be glorified. We will be with you and we will sing and feast and enjoy the abundant blessings that come from being in your presence. And Father, we just can't get our heads around it. It's impossible to think about how great that would be. And so we ask that you would show us Jesus just to think about how great he is, how wonderful it will be to see him face to face when everything sad will be undone. Give us the strength of Job to persevere and to look towards that day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.